The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Invest in Kishida. This. That was Japan's Prime Minister Fumio Kishida in London last year, saying that the world's third largest economy will continue to grow and investors should have confidence. Invest in Kishida, he says. Fast forward to today, and Japan is having a change of guard in its central bank. An outsider and academic, Kazu Ueda, is taking the helm at a crucial time for the economy. How he handles monetary policy and the ripples that that will send around the world is the focus of this week's Views Room. Welcome back to the Views Room, a podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Amy Donlan, coming to you from London. Change is afoot in Japan. The country has appointed a new governor of the Bank of Japan, which has implications far beyond the world's third largest economy. Japan has long taken a different approach to monetary policy, which is all the more important in a world where other countries are raising rates and cutting back on bond buying. Here to explain to me why the appointment is so important and what it all means is Pete Sweeney, our Asia-based columnist at Breaking Views. Change is afoot in Japan. The country has appointed a new governor of the Bank of Japan, which has implications far beyond the world's third largest economy. Japan has long taken a different approach to monetary policy, which is all the more important in a world where other countries are raising rates and cutting back on bond buying. Here to explain to me why the appointment is so important and what it all means is Pete Sweeney, our Asia-based columnist at Breaking Views. So Pete, can you just start off by giving us a big picture of Japan and how the economy is doing? So we obviously, as I said, you know, inflation is the big story in the US and Europe uh, and how countries are managing that. But how, how is Japan doing? The stereotypical story, economic story about Japan is that everything is very boring and kind of sad. Everybody knows this is one of the world's most rapidly aging societies. Um, they went through decades of deflation, they were only ended with this radical um, stimulus slash monetary easing program, which was initiated by Prime Minister Shinzo Abe in 2012. That was successful, but um, the structural problems with Japan after years of people, you know, companies and, and savers and, and consumers being used to prices going down instead of up have been proven quite difficult to overcome. There was a moment a brief moment where it looks like everything was turning around. Inflation was coming up to the 2% target um, that the Japanese government was aiming for in order to justify um, ending some of its radical uh, monetary easing policies, for example, negative interest rates. Um, and Pete, when, where, when, was, when was that time, that, that sort of golden well, that, that, 2% that whole, era? I mean, before everything bad started happening. Um, <laughs> so like casting back my memory on when everything started going quite poorly. I mean, the weakness in the Chinese economy was a problem for Japan. And then you had the pandemic, and then you had war in Ukraine. So all of these things have kind of played poorly. Um, Japan is a big exporter. You know, its 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 currency is a major reserve currency. You know, it's, it's, it's got these major companies that are heavily exposed to export markets. 
so right at the point where they had just felt like they were confident enough to start raising taxes a bit, they raised a consumption tax, just two percentage points. Um, but right after that happened, everything started going south. And and it, it's it's mostly external forces. There was nothing Japan did particularly to, to deserve any of this, but it happened anyways. Um, that has kind of thrown a wrench into the gears. Globally, um, the sensitivity about Japan, there's there's not a lot of foreign companies that are heavily invested in Japan as a consumer market. You know, it's aging. The growth rate has been very, very slow, anemic, if non-existent. But uh, Japan is a major overseas investor. It's the world's third largest economy. They've got a lot of money. Um, Japanese companies make a lot of money in export markets. You know, names like Toyota, um, you know, uh, Yaskawa in making industrial robots. Um, you've got these companies that make key parts of the, the semiconductor supply chain, um, all these kind of wonky, nerdy hardware companies. They make a ton of money um, and they invest it overseas and they lend it overseas. And the other thing is that like, because interest rates are so low in Japan, borrowing in yen and then lending in dollars or another currency has been this great carry trade where you can make easy money mm. um, by borrowing a very ultra cheap interest rates and then, and then doing something with it overseas. So Japan has this outsized role in the overseas financing world as a, as a funding currency. So right now, the thing is that like the inflation picture in Japan has finally and irrevocably changed because the rest of the world is inflating. Because so right? where are we, uh, where are we, Pete, then in that inflation picture? Because to, just to pick you up, obviously, right. on, on what you were talking about with the interest rates, just looking at, at ICON this morning and the screens, you know, the 10 year benchmark for Japan is yielding like 0.5 percent. Yes. You know, compare that to the U.S. where it's around 4 percent. So obviously. Yeah. A big, you know, you wouldn't be thinking this is where I'm going to make my money is investing in Japanese bonds. So no, and it's a bit dangerous to borrow at that rate because that gap between the rates, this rapid divergence that's happened thanks to the American stimulus program and the inflation that it caused, um, has has depreciated the yen. So that 0.5 percent might look cheap until you consider that the the likelihood that that currency's exchange rate is going to fall quite steeply against the dollar. Um, it had declined at one point, it was down 25%. You know, so it's been this huge destabilizing factor. The, the pace of it um, has been part of the problem. I mean, it's a, it's a floated currency. You think these moves happen, but, you know, 25% decline in a major reserve currency is, is kind of a hell of a thing. Um, and it's because of the, the, sp the widening spread that you, you talked about. The problem is that, like, everybody else is feeling free to, to raise normalize their rates in response to this inflation. I mean, the US labor market is has been pretty relatively tight, um, you know, and but but the Japan economic fundamentals has not changed that much. Inflation excluding food and 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 energy, which are the volatile parts that central banks like to exclude when they're thinking about trade, um, has crossed to 3%, which is like the highest it's been since 1991, which tells you something about what the Chinese economy which, has been doing. And which I think Sorry, a lot the of Japanese countries which I yeah, think a lot so of countries it's, would it's, envy, it's, it's right? It's 3%, <laughs> and that's like, woo, 3%, you know? Um, yeah. So uh, the problem is that the central bank is thinking about, like, do we normalize rates or not? And what they want to see, and what Kazuo Ueda is supposed to help decide is, has the time finally come? You know, his 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 predecessor, uh, Kuroda, Haruhiko Kuroda, was basically, you know, an arm of the Abenomics, the Abenomics government stimulus program, but, like, that existed in a very different macroeconomic environment, uh, currency environment than, than what Japan is in now. Um, so this guy is stepping in 
to a job um, but it's going to be one of the, the hardest jobs in central central banking to my view um, and, and you, everything you, is possibly disastrous if he nor the, the economy just was just barely edged back into the growth before that it was contracting um, there is very little sign that that there's these huge animal spirits resurging in Japan. All this inflation that's coming through is basically food and energy, which Japan has to import. And that's not the sort of thing that justifies a systematic rise in rates. What everybody's looking for is signs that Japan incorporated, um, which has learned to be just incredibly cheap, money hoarding, vast stacks of cash, refusing to give on raises, just sitting on these huge piles of liquid assets. And are they finally going to start like passing on some of this to their employees so that their their wages don't deflate in real terms in inflation adjusted terms? And that's the big question that's coming up and nobody knows. We have these annual spring wage negotiations coming up in April, which is right about the time that UADA is going to take office. And there are very mixed signs as to whether Japan, Japanese companies in the aggregate are going to lift wages above like the, the cost of, of, of inflation, keeping in mind that like if like the core inflation that the central bank looks at actually includes energy in Japan, and that rate is already over 4%, which is healthily above target. It's been there for quite some time. But I mean, it's hard for any Japanese academic like Ueda is, who hasn't been at the Bank of Japan for quite some time, he's an outsourced dark horse candidate, to look at this and say, oh, clearly, you know, we had good wage negotiations, let's normalize rates. Um, because the risk is you put the Japanese economy back into recession. And sorry, I'm so, talking at length. Please, please, not please. at all. No, no, very interesting <laughs> stuff. Because I guess what I'm wondering is then is who is Ueda? And you you wrote this great piece this week, kind of explaining that this was not a job that many people wanted. And and again, I guess I'd love you to kind of talk me through how he how he got this position, what the other alternatives were, and do we know much about what he's likely to do? You know, often these these central bankers have sort of a philosophy or a way of thinking that has sort of given us giving a steer or gives a bit of a hint as to what they might do. Yeah, so he, he was at the Bank of Japan before, um, but he is unique in that he's not coming from either the bank. It used to be that there was this trade off like the, the central bank governor either came from the Ministry of Finance, or the Bank of Japan, you know, reflecting kind of the tension between the pressure to ease and the pressure to you know watch the budget and, and the, the national balance sheet, public debt. On our Abenomics has ballooned to over 200% of output. Anyway, so there's this there's this whole tension over like, we've got all these old people going to retire, we need some money to cover that versus we need to print a bunch of money and go into a bunch of debt to stimulate growth. And that's been the balance. Uh, Ueda is, is sort of an outsider, but that said, he does have a track record and he has spoken about these things. Like most Japanese economists, he has opinions. And he's a respected academic. But the question is, you know, what exactly does he think? Now, we can go back on his his former comments, which, Nobody has paid that much attention to because until very recently, nobody actually thought this guy was in, in the running. But so basically um, in 2000, the Bank of Japan made the decision to normalize rates and that was disastrous. Um, and he was out there saying this is a bad idea, um, which basically puts him on the right side of history on that one. Um, he's made obviously much more recent comments about what he thinks should happen to um, Japanese monetary policy. Japan also, the Bank of Japan also has, like like Australia had and, and has since ditched rather chaotically, they had this policy called yield curve control, um, which means that instead of just committing to purchase a certain amount of government bonds to inject a certain amount of money and hold down interest rates, they have like a mixture of kind of forward guidance where they tell the market they're going to hold this rate. So 
instead of bothering to like trade against us, just don't don't bother. <laughs> we're we're going to intervene if it goes over this 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 rate, and if it doesn't, we're going to leave it. So, as you said, you know, with the with the ten year bond, which was one of the targeted key targeted bond issues, um, they kept it. They they said it's supposed to be at zero percent, but we'll let it go up to 025 percent without intervening. Um, and after that, you know, we're gonna we're gonna commit an unlimited amount of funds to to blow you guys out of the water if you try and short us. Um, once the interest rates, once inflation started rising and the rates diverged and the, and the yen started plunging, a lot of bomb traders in the yen market were like, "Yeah, you guys are just, you're really not gonna be able to pull that off." And they started attacking yield curve control. So they, especially on the ten-year bond, they're like, "Well, we're just basically gonna bid it up to 0.25 percent and see if we can call the Bank of Japan's bluff." You know, years of this sort of intervention by the Bank of Japan has has just swollen its balance sheet. They own, they've intervened in the ETF market, and they own over half now, over half of the sovereign bond market. Some of the bond tenors, it appears, are basically the Bank of Japan issuing and then buying them all themselves. And this is a massive, globally important bond market. And they also, I think, they own well over 50% of the 10-year issue. So the 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 bond market functioning itself is breaking down in a major global currency. <laughs> So this is a problem. So basically the bond market attack worked at first. And in December, Kuroda sort of compromised. He moved the band up to 0.5% from 0.25%. But I mean, like most compromises, like if people see it as a sign of weakness, they continue to push for it. So the market has just moved right up to the new line and now it's trading around 0.5%. Ueda uh, is gonna have to deal with the fact that nobody really believes that this yield curve control policy is sustainable. And here, you know, his former statements we could be guided by, but like he at one point appeared to be suggesting the best way to do it is just have a one-off like adjustment or ending it. He does not believe that you should normalize interest rates in Japan because he's worried about that it could reasonably worry, in my view, that you could plunge it back into recession. So does that does that then suggest that if he doesn't think that you should normalize interest rates, that that carry trade that you were talking about, the beneficial kind of spread between other markets and, and Japan, that that's sort of safe in some way? Because I guess the danger would be Japan raises interest rates quite quickly and that sort of unravels, as in you start seeing money moving quickly out of markets. They're not going to do anything quickly. They might do something small. But if because given the importance of the yen and everything, everybody is very closely watching what might happen to any decline. I mean, if yields go up, the prices of bonds go down. That's the math, right? So that's a huge amount of money lost by the Bank of Japan, which owns all these bonds. And then there's another concern out there, uh, a market concern that like basically a lot of Japanese corporates have borrowed heavily. I mean, this is the conspiracy theory thing. Well, it's not a conspiracy, but but that there's that they've gone into debt and they've this debt is collateralized by sovereign bonds that they held in their portfolios. And that basically if the price of the bonds falls sharply, you will have this giant global margin call and all this Japanese money will come flooding back in. But I mean it just kind of tells you about how much tension there is outside. So a big job for a way to, to manage. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a big job. The the other thing, and I'll just let this end. Over the last 10 years, the Bank of Japan's independence has been very much eroded by its marriage to Abenomics and the political, the politics of the LDP, the dominating ruling party that Abe. And, you know, this is a guy that people are asking, you know, why him? And my concern and others' concern is that, you know, because he doesn't have a strong faction, he comes into power at this point in a sort of a weak position, like he's academic, but like this is not a government that leaves the central bank alone. 
you know, they need the central bank to kind of serve these political purposes. And Prime Minister Kishida, he's politically weak, he has low ratings. He's trying to push this new capitalism agenda that's about social distribution. He wants to boost spend spending. He wants to boost innovation. He wants to do all these things. And so whatever Ueda thinks and whatever he's written about his, his opinions about yield curve control and, and what to do with interest rates and whatnot, he he's makes reasonable noises like any central bank candidate would. But like, will he be able to kind of like hold his own against, you know, the government, uh, the state that, that wants the central bank to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and that's what people are also going to have in the long run, you know, whatever he does with yield curve control in the short term, you know, he's got a five-year tenure, like, what is he going to do in the long term? We don't know. We'll just have to watch. Fascinating stuff and definitely one to watch. Pete, thank you so much for that. Very thorough. And uh, I'll keep watching for your stuff. Thanks, Amy. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Katrina Hamlin in Hong Kong. You can find more episodes on Apple, Megaphone, or wherever you like to listen. Also, check out our sister podcast, The Exchange. And for more views, find us on breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews.